I'm Greg Oliar. Four years ago, I stopped writing novels to report on the crimes of Donald Trump and his associates. In 2018, I wrote a best-selling book about it, Dirty Rubles. In 2019, I launched Prevail, a bi-weekly column about Trump and Putin, spies and mobsters, and so many traitors! Trump may be gone, but the damage he wrought will take years to fully understand. Join me and a revolving crew of contributors and guests as we try to make sense of it all. This is Prevail. Hey, Muller Junkies, this is AG, and I want to thank HelloFresh for supporting Muller She Wrote. Go to HelloFresh.com slash AG60, that's AG60, and use the code AG60 to get a total of $60 off. That's $20 off your first three boxes. We'd also like to thank Skillshare for supporting Muller She Wrote. Skillshare is offering Muller She Wrote listeners two months of unlimited access to over 20,000 classes for just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash AG. Again, that's Skillshare.com slash AG to get two months of unlimited access to over 20,000 classes for just 99 cents. You'll be glad you did. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Muller She Wrote. I'm your anonymous host, A.G., and recently, Jordan, Jalisa, and I got to spend a couple of days at Politicon. We talked to all sorts of interesting people on both sides of the aisle, or all three sides of the aisle, if you want to call it that. Uh, We had some really amazing conversations, so we've got some clips from the live stage show for you. We've got some really great interviews coming up, so stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, guys. I want to hand it off to Jordan Coburn, uh, and I want you to talk a little bit about why, why we do this. Yeah, so basically we noticed that there was a lack of women voices in the podcasting arena, especially in the politics arena. So when the indictments first dropped, we wanted to create something that was accessible to everybody, especially accessible for women, voices by women, for women. Our whole podcast is run by women. Everything that we do, merch, you know, subscriber managers, everything, we always use women. Uh, and basically, we just wanted to make something that could follow the investigation from week to week, and it was going to be palatable to everyone. We don't want people to listen to us and, you know, think we're being pretentious and talking about things they can't really catch up with. We're very step-by-step step with how we report, and if anyone ever has questions, we love having those on the podcast. And it's very organic, and it's a really fun... We like to believe you think you're, you know, it's like you're hanging out with us in the room when we're doing it. All right, thanks, Jordan. Mm -hmm. And uh, Julissa, can you get into a little bit why uh, it's important that we at least kind of reach out to and and maybe understand or or kind of cooperate a little bit with young people, particularly 
as we come up to these midterm elections. Definitely. Um, I feel like one of our guests will have a really nice and depth dive. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm feeling a little old compared to one of our guests, too. So I, <laughs> I'm going to give my uh, elder millennial perspective here. Um, I, I mean, looking around the room, you can see how many young people, um, if you want to judge them, like, <laughs> yeah, there's only so many of us. And I, I do feel like that's because traditionally, you know, we, we care about uh, less important things. And we're in a post 9-11 millennial generation. So I think the pressure is more on for these young kids to care about what's happening in their schools because, you know, and in their lives, it's reaching them in places that it, it rarely has before. And a lot of youth are, are post-Columbine, uh, too. I feel like there's a lot of things that other generations just didn't have to think about, so we're being forced to think about it. And it's it's slowly getting there. What was it, 26% for the 18 to 29 turnout? So, I mean, that's that's low, but still progress. I mean, if we get that to 30%, it would be a game changer. It just 5% more of youth would just take this place over. So I think it's important for us to know our powers and know our voice is important. And children are the future. So, you know, before global warming kills us. Yes, you're important. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I love this kid. He's got a shirt with Jesus on it. And it says, I didn't say that. <laughs> I love fantastic. it. That's absolutely fantastic. And speaking of young folks at the ripe old age of 17, Cameron Caskey is an activist and an advocate against gun violence. As a survivor of the deadliest high school shooting, which occurred at Stoneman Douglas High School on Valentine's Day of 2018, Cameron has gone on to co-found the student-led gun control advocacy group Never Again MSD. He also played a significant role in organizing the March of Our Lives protest in March of 2018. Cameron comes to us as a member of Gen Z, who can shed some insight into what the youths think in politics. Everybody, please welcome Cameron Caskey. Gen Z. Yeah, it's me, everyone. Hey, guys. <laughs> Look how old I am. I'm, uh, I'm almost 18. I, can't, I actually can't vote this year. Did you know that? My birthday's November 11th, and I was six days late. So if any of you would like to email my mother, um, you, could, you could bring that up with her. She could have eaten spicy foods. I read this whole thing about it. Hey, everyone. Nice. Hi, I watch Friends. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, how old were you when Friends came out? No. How old was born. I when Friends came out? Um, <laughs> you weren't. So I'm actually. Old I'm more. I grew up on The Office, and um, and my, my my I I actually have a big admiration for Cheers, which I believe is pre Friends, and fr and Frasier, <laughs> Frasier and didn't Frasier air as Friends was airing? Wasn't that kind of an overlap? No, there was. <laughs> what was the overlap? Frasier was like '94 to 2004, right? <laughs> it's the best one. David Hyde Pierce is an. Uh, unmatched talent, truly. Nice. All right, now I would like to introduce our other panelist. She was a finalist on Last Comic Standing, season eight. Uh, you've seen her on HBO, True TV, NBC. She's a regular on The Young Turks. She has a radio show called Dash, Mondays at 5 Pacific. She works closely with Puerto Rico, uh, helping, aid, help to, helping to aid Puerto Rico. My favorite thing is she helps foster children who are about to become voting age register to vote. And she advocates for local elections. Please welcome Ada Rodriguez. All right, guys. Normally in the podcast, the first thing that we do is we jump into just the facts. Uh, there's this thing that we, this way that we run our podcast is I give you the facts from reporting, from the week, corroborated facts, sourced facts. Then we wildly speculate on all sorts of insane stuff later on. But we make sure to tell you the difference because I think the problem with a lot of media, especially on social media, is they speculate wildly but don't tell you that they have nothing to back up there. Yeah. their assertions. So I want to be very clear about that. 
Um, otherwise, my IRB panel for my PhD would kill me. They would find me and hunt me down in the night, and they would literally kill me. So <laughs> the first thing I want to do is to jump into just the facts and talk about, with our panel, some of the stories that came out this week in the Mueller investigation, because that's what we do. My favorite story this week, and I'm going to kick off with it. I don't care if I blow my load too soon. It's my favorite <laughs> story. I call it the Manafort suit. So basically, Manafort filed a motion to be able to wear a suit in his appearance in court on Friday. Now, if you remember, Manafort was out on bail before he began cooperating. He was wearing two ankle bracelets, very fashionable. <laughs> uh, but then he was caught talking to his old EU Yanukovych buddies, including a guy named Sager, not Sater, and not Nader, not Nadler, but Sager, <laughs> who incidentally is the guy a Trump aide got Rick Gates' email address from so he could send him Israeli psyops proposals on how to cheat in the election. But Manafort was telling his friend Sager what to say in the trial, which is ding ding, witness tampering and obstruction of justice. So they threw his ass in jail. Now, he's been in jail, it was Judge uh, Amy, uh, Miss Jackson if you're nasty. <laughs> she wow. threw him in jail. And what was great was he appeared before Ellis this week uh, in a wheelchair, in his jumpsuit, uh, appar apparently sick from the nutrition or the lack of that he's been receiving in jail. Very sad, pobrecito. <laughs> and uh, Ellis was hilarious. You know Ellis, he's crazy. Honey Badger don't give a shit, Judge Ellis. <laughs> so he, he looks at him, he's like, he's like, yeah, he hasn't gotten the proper nutrition in jail. And Ellis is like, I didn't put him in jail. So hilarious. Uh, anyway, he wouldn't let him, Ellis would not let him wear a suit. He had to wear his jumpsuit. He had to wear his prison uniform. And I think this is very important because justice is the great equalizer. And if everyone else, every, all the regular folks who have, have been to jail, if they have to appear in court in their jumpsuit, so does he. Now, if you have a jury trial, you can appear in a suit because we want innocent, innocence until proven guilty, and that jumpsuit can take that away from you. But this guy is, I'm sorry, a fucking convicted felon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So he doesn't need the presumption of innocence at this point. You can wear his goddamn jumpsuit. I think this is fantastic. What do you guys think about this? Because I think it's amazing that it's just the equalizer. Um, yeah, it's bringing his, him down to a level that he's not comfortable with. His altitude now is very low from the privilege he's used to. And I think that's the beautiful part of it is that he's learning now that you can't just commit treason and get away with it, which I think most of us are aware of. And I feel like it's just fair that he learns his lesson. Yeah. Um, I, I just like to look at it from a different perspective. What if, imagine somebody who wasn't who he is making that request. People would laugh, right? And say, hey, who does this guy think he is? How many you know, black and brown people have you seen in these orange jumpsuits? They do attribute to a stigma. And, you know, There's a connotation that goes along with it, but that's the connotation that should be attached to a fucking criminal. Yeah, so that's most the, regular folks don't even get the chance to ask the question. Yeah. They are carted out in front of the judge wearing their jumpsuit. Yep. They don't even know when and who they can call or what their phone call is or what their rights are. So... I'm like, F that I, guy I think you should watch Orange is the New Black and try to trick it out. You know, how do you <laughs> bedazzle that bitch before you wear it? Because that's your reality. And when you go there, you got to. Sorry. I think there are two primary schools of thought. On the one hand, look, Manafort is a really sharp looking guy. I love seeing him in a suit. He looks great. And he's got that thinning look to him that really is emphasized by the suit. And at the end of the day, that's what Manafort is. He's eye candy. <laughs> on, on the other hand, I mean, a criminal is a criminal, and that's what it is at the end of the day. If he wants to make the jumpsuit a romper, he absolutely can, because I think he would look electric oh. in one. But 
I, what, you know, what, what really entertains me here is the fact that th- this, this process is taking so long. And I'm, I'm a 17-year-old boy, so I like things right now. And, um, and so this is really bothering me. But this, all t- this, is, this is such a long process. I guess that's why Mola She Wrote is such a phenomenal podcast. Um, I'm waiting to see who Trump appoints next. Uh, and speaking of Orange is the New Black, I would not be surprised if it was Crazy Eyes. <laughs> Everybody crazy? I, I guarantee you we are two weeks away from Crazy Eyes becoming the new Secretary of the Treasury. Yeah, free Crazy Eyes, guys. Let's get her out of Crazy Eyes. I would get behind that shit. Crazy Eyes actually sounds like a nickname Trump would give someone. I'm waiting for him to call somebody Crazy Eyes. <laughs> he is one of the best comedians in the game. Like, yeah. uh, you cannot deny that he is a funny man, and he's got some great, great comebacks. Guy, yeah. I, I take Crazy Eyes over Mnuchin any day. Uh, <laughs> definitely, yeah. Secretary of the Treasury, Crazy Eyes. <laughs> well, great. Fine, I'm fine with it. All right, second story I want to talk about. Uh, I call this one Mangiante. Uh, something else that happened in the news this week. Simone Mangiante, Papadopoulos' fiance, rhymes, uh, provided ABC with a photograph of her Italian passport because Scott Stedman had come out and started questioning who she was, how old she was, where she's from, where she was born, etc. And uh, she did this because of him and because he did a bunch of, he actually talked to some of her family members and found out that she lied about who she was. ABC took one look at the passport photo and started asking questions. Uh, and Mangiante then finally had to admit that she doctored it to lie about her age. Uh, she said she was 34 when she's actually 37. And the reason she did this was because she wants a career in Hollywood as an actress, <laughs> is what she said. And I'm here to tell you, Simona, 34, 37, you're done at 29 and it's yeah. time. So I don't know what you're thinking. Because those two... Uh, but we've been questioning her identity for a while. Since March of this year, when it was reported that Deripaska, Oleg Deripaska, aluminum guy, aluminium, if you're across the pond, uh, he, he was on a yacht near Italy when Papadopoulos was there. And I'm convinced that uh, Mangianti is a Slovakian-born Russian agent sent by Deripaska. That's conjecture. Okay, I don't have anything to back that up, other than interesting timing of where boats were in certain seas. Uh, but her accent's wonky, and now she's admittedly lied about her age and doctored her passport. I'm curious as to what you guys think about this, because I'd, we seem to have this growing number of uh, Russian female agents that are attaching themselves to Trump campaign aides and getting information from them. We had Nastya Ribka, we've had Butina, Maria yeah. Butina, and it's Paul Erickson with their Beauty and the Beast video. That was lovely. <laughs> That's beautiful. I, and I gotta tell you, you know, I'm not pro-Russia in this situation politically, but that's pretty badass. Yeah, like, yeah. If you think about it, these female agents are coming in and infiltrating our politics. That is so cool. Totally. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't want them to be successful, but good on them for at least doing their job well. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> I, I cite Black Widow from the Avengers. I hope we have a lot of them running around. Yeah, it's using a men's desperation against them, which is satisfying to see on one hand, but it's at the, the expense of our country. It's yeah. so bit different. It's, yeah. Like, Paul Erickson, you're a three. You're dating a nine. Check yourself. Something's up. I feel like we need... You might want to check in with the FBI. We need Angela Jolie to play one of these spy women in these Russian movies that are going to come out about Mueller. She did. Yeah. Salt, right? That was what she was? Yeah, take that. Now they got Pepper. They got Cayenne. They got all of them. They got, they have, we got a whole rack of spices. I was, I was wondering why there have been a lot of pictures of Kanye with Russia. Russian agents lately. That seems interesting. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He's working on a new He'll album. Come soon. Well, he did coming. take a photo with Trump, so. Oh, yikes. 
you know what I, I what I think is interesting is that a lot of uh, people on the right, and, and I hate to get into the right, the left, the thing, because we, we all get caught up in this tribalism and we look stupid when we start, like the Red Sox, the Yankees. But when um, they, they criticize feminist women for being strong and empowered and that they're these, you, these pro-male groups that are women should be this, and it's women who are taking these men down that path. I think it's fun to watch. Yeah, you know? Russia's definitely light years ahead of us in the, in the female equality. I, 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 Especially for spies sector. Yeah. I'm very, very convinced my girlfriend is a Russian spy. I do whatever <laughs> she says. She has me like that. It's ridiculous. Uh, yet. I mean, no. <laughs> Good. It's, it's frustrating to me that she was able to come up and then get so much airtime so quickly. That's very frustrating to me, especially now that it's coming out. She's not a credible person fundamentally and there's yeah. no no corrections will come out of course there's no way you can take back airtime that people get like she got that's yeah. very frustrating you know what's funny though i think the fact that she's supposed to be so sharp but that she thinks that a three-year age difference would make a, you know make a difference exactly. in hollywood <laughs> that makes that's really hilarious i, I just <laughs> now realized you guys weren't still talking about my girlfriend i was about to say <laughs> do not talk about her like that she cannot defend herself here <laughs> she's 34 yeah nice. Really, 37, yeah. you know. All right, high five, Lee. I'm, I'm 18 November 11th. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, so uh, moving on from Mangiante. I, and I, you know, I have to get, I don't like to be policed as a woman. I don't like men telling me what to do, and I don't, I don't think we should police women unless they're Russian spies. Then we can police them, and I'm fine with that. So my next, my next uh, story that I wanted to talk to you guys about, I call it SARS. Uh, last May, do you guys know Ronan Farrow? Amazing uh, journalist, Pulitzer Prize winner. He did some reporting on the leaks of the Cohen financials from a law enforcement official within the Treasury Department. Remember when Avenatti got a hold of bank statements from Cohen, which ended up showing a slush fund for his firm called Essential Consulting? Yeah, it's essential. Their, their tagline is, it's fucking essential. <laughs> That's where we found out like AT&T and Novartis were tossing in millions of dollars to get access to the president. And there was even a guy named Vexelberg, who's a Russian emigre that had got 500000 in there somewhere. Uh, and so large amounts of money in exchange for access to the president. And of course, Vexelberg is connected to Intrader and Blavatnik. These are a group of Russian emigres often mobilized by the Kremlin to do their bidding. And we talked about this on the pod last May, and it was known that a law enforcement official saw that there two of three suspicious activity reports were missing from the database at the Treasury Department. So this person saw one SAR for Cohen, and that one referenced two other SARs, that's a suspicious activity report, so that person went looking for them, and they were missing from the database, which is 100% unusual, totally unprecedented, and that raised a red flag for this person. So this person called up Ronan Farrow at the New Yorker, and it got out, it leaked, and that's how we found out about Novartis and Vexelberg and all that. Really interesting. Well, this week, a woman who works for the Treasury was arrested for leaking suspicious activity reports to the press. So it, it was either this woman that leaked those SARS back then, or there's a pattern of SARS that go missing from that database. Both are terrifying. But my question to you guys, is this woman a criminal or a whistleblower? Whistleblower, 100%. I mean, she was doing this apparently, even if it's not connected to the first Cohen SARS, she was doing this because she may have believed that there was this, like you said, similar pattern there. Yeah, and what she leaked was information about Manafort, Gates, Pravazon mm -hmm. Holdings, which we know about from the Fusion GPS Glenn Simpson transcripts. And uh, 
somebody else. Butina, Maria Butina. Yeah, oh, yeah and they, they were all being investigated. It seems like this is related to like a national case that everybody's aware of. So for someone to leak something that's already in play, it seems more like a whistleblower thing than like, you know, like uh, for her to be like, oh, I don't like this person, so I'm going to do it. I just, I know it's going to boil down to motives and intent, but there's an act for this, right? The Whistleblower Act. I feel like there, yes. Yeah, yes. I think I think it should act. fall under it. You know, it's I, I don't think Trump cares about it very much. I think it's always criminal. What's become criminal now is depending on who tells the story and who it benefits. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because if it's a, a whistleblower for the, for the betterment of the population, it, it's a criminal. But if it benefits the top 1%, then it's, it's whistleblowing. And I think that that's what's become frustrating for the people. Because oh, yeah. you know, the people are the ones that matter. That's what this is supposed to be about, is that who is telling the story? You know, really and good. I would say whistleblower. History yeah. is written by the winners. Right? Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah, I. Go sorry. Ahead. I also think she she leaked to the media, right? Yeah. So yeah, I, she basically took like a hundred photos of her computer screen and sent them via messenger app, probably Signal, to a journalist. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think there's a trend now where people are leaking to the media versus leaking to intelligence officers, and that's where she wouldn't be protected under that whistleblower act because right. there's no language for that as far as I know but then it's like you have to question why are people leaking to the media over leaking to intelligence officers that yeah. means something and how do we account for that in legislation yeah. what, what do we do if people can't trust our own intelligence officers yeah if I want to be protected by the whistleblower act I want to go to the FBI but who at the FBI am I going to and who's yeah thumb are they under yeah so it's it's kind of I don't want to get all conspiracy theory on you <laughs> but uh, you know I'm not gonna go tell Pompeo <laughs> what I found out about Trump. I, don't, I just don't think it's going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, all right. touche. Uh, my next story is about uh, journalist Jamal Khashoggi. So this is a tragic death. It's a Washington Post journalist whose sources say was tortured and dismembered over a period of seven minutes by Saudis, 15 Saudis at their consulate in Turkey. Trump and Mohammed Bonesaw, that's what I'm calling him from now on, uh, have said that... Uh, this didn't happen at first, and then it, or maybe it did happen, and then they got under this story that it was a rogue person, and now there was a fist fight, and now it's turned into a, there was a chokehold, uh, and that's how he died. So, Bonesaw is denying this, even though four of the 15 hitmen are known to have close ties with him. And this language about this being a rogue killing is really interesting, uh, because, and then, this reminds me of the Putin stuff, where Putin said, first of all, tr- uh, Sorry, Trump said, same guy. (laughs) Oops. Trump said, uh, Putin denies it. He's denied it in every way you can imagine, whatever that means. Uh, And then, after he denied it, he says, it was was probably not Russia. It could have been a rogue actor, a 400-pound guy in his bed. Well, we're now hearing the same exact rhetoric about Khashoggi. And the interesting thing is that the rogue Saudi that they are trying to blame this on is a general. His name is Ahmed Assisi. And Ahmed is also a guy with ties to the Trump campaign through Nader. He helped fix the 2016 election. So are they blaming this guy so they can get rid of him for his knowledge of the election interference? (laughs) Are they killing two birds with one bone saw? Uh, And because even Mnuchin backed out of the summit, right? So yeah, that's what that's why the Dow went plummeting like my grandpa's blood sugar that one time in Colorado. I mean, look, Mnuchin, I actually, I'm actually all about Mnuchin not going 
to that investment thing. I think that we need to absolutely punish Saudi Arabia and the leadership for the disgusting bullshit they're trying to pull. I think that saying every single thing Trump does is bad is a waste of air. You can't pretend that this person does 100% bad things. But the one thing that royally pisses me off about his rhetoric all the time is the fact that somewhere he, he, he decides to just praise these people who do the shit that he wants to pull. Yeah. Um, now, that's not, me, uh, that's not me hinting at the fact that I think Trump would advocate directly for violence against anybody besides the fact that he's done that a couple times. But I do, I do think that from a foreign policy standpoint, if we do not come down with the hammer to Saudi Arabia right now, we are looking weak and we are, we're basically complicit in this horse shit because as long as this continues to happen, we are going to watch these dictators thrive under Trump's rhetoric. And the problem is, Trump's rhetoric is, in my opinion, as harmful as bad policy. Because on, from a policy standpoint, Trump has been, Trump has some teeth with Russia. He armed the people of, of um, uh, he armed yeah. you, the people of Ukraine with deadly weaponry, which uh, President Obama did not do. He which you got in exchange, by the way. Uh, for them closing down their investigation into Paul Manafort. Of course, of course. But as long as bad people are, are being fought with weapons, I'm fine with that. And it's, it, this is all in rhetoric. And the fact that he's calling this a rogue killing when it was obviously 15 hitmen liquefying somebody's body. First of all, if you need 15 hitmen to do it, you're an awful dictator. Second of all, I'm sorry, that's awful, but come on. It's true. There was an autopsy expert there, I mean, It's disgusting. So, so it, this is, I think this is a rhetoric issue, not a policy issue. I think Trump's issues can pretty much be brought into those two things. Um, and... And it, it, that's what we need to be hitting right now is Trump's rhetoric specifically. Yeah. Well, you know, I think we should be very alarmed, uh, very alarmed. My my father, my stepfather is from Cuba, and uh, when the, the the beginnings when they are, when we, we're not in the beginnings anymore, but when they start attacking the media, and and the justification of this murder that you see from the people who follow that guy, who fo- I, I'm tired of saying the word Trump. If it's like the new word for constipation. <laughs> but it's like um, the people who keep justifying, like, why did he keep talking? Why did he go there? Why was he agitating? Why was that we are normalizing the mistreatment of the media in, in a way that it's becoming dangerous because when they silence them, when they muzzle them, then we really are in trouble, right? And so this, oh, yeah. this it was a... They like the little kids from Lord of the Flies. You know what I mean? They killed Piggy. Like that was how horrific that was. And we are sitting here having a conversation trying to justify it and trying to figure out when we should just be outraged that this stuff is happening to somebody who belongs to us. Definitely. Because he belonged to us. That reminds me of the Stanford prison experiment we talk about on the podcast sometimes, about how people, when they get away with these repulsive things, they will not stop until you say stop. And you have to say it to the point where they'll listen. And people like Putin and Trump, people say you got to kind of smack them, whatever that means metaphorically. you got to get them to listen. And sometimes that means marching. Sometimes it means, you know, storming the buildings. And we're doing it. It's just got, we got to bring it up even more now. Things are really heating up. Yeah, yeah it, it's absolutely disgusting what's happened, and I. Uh, some have said that how Trump reacts to this is going to be probably one of his most important decisions of his presidency. Yeah, uh, be, just because uh, we, we we could lose, we stand to lose our. Not that it, it hasn't been declining, but our moral standing. Yep. In, in globally, um, could just be t- past the tipping point. But they say that yeah. every. They said that for the last. 
10 things. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like every, this is going to determine where, where his moral compass I, really I, I is. Definitely think, I definitely think this is a crucial <laughs> point in the setting of the pattern, though, of President Trump's rhetoric being, being so silly when he's dealing with these awful people. Because again, even if from a policy standpoint, Trump is handling Saudi Arabia in a solid way, and that's something we've yet to see in this specific situation, the rhetoric is what the people see, and that's why everybody in this country loses their mind every five minutes. It's because, forget the policy for a second, Trump's rhetoric is about as strong as my ability to bench press. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> if, Trump, if Trump went out there and said this guy was obviously killed by a death squad run by an evil kook who's running this country, we would be able to say, you know what, President Trump, I'm going to give you credit where credit is due. You're punishing someone evil. And President Trump has punished evil people through policy, but the rhetoric, my God, I want to start doing terrible things just so I can get positive tweets from him. The, the right has initiated a, a smear campaign against Khashoggi to, to pave the way for this exact kind of, uh, of terrible rhetoric and BS. Yeah. Uh, all right, next story. Uh, we learned, this is called Cohen. Uh, we learned a couple weeks ago that Cohen was talking extensively with Mueller's team, even though he doesn't have a cooperation agreement in place. He's just running around like, I got info, I got info. Ah. <laughs> Uh, and this week we found out he's also been talking to the state and federal law enforcement officials investigating aspects of the Trump Organization and the Trump Foundation. The group Cohen met with included federal prosecutors from Southern District of New York and officials from the New York Attorney General's office, along with Cohen's attorney. Cohen is set to be sentenced December 12th. So my question for the panel is, do you think he's cooperating super hard because he's super justice and awesome? Or do you think he's just trying to get a reduction in his sentence? Definitely whatever uh, the opposite of justice is. He, that's Cohen all the way. Yeah, um, He's just he's playing it smart now. He should have done it long ago, just like Manafort. Because uh, Mueller, he knows the end game. He's done this before. So um, yeah, Cohen's just, he's wising up is what it is. Yeah, I think he wants, obviously, you know, prosecution to go as easy on him as possible. I also think he's an attention whore and absolutely loves doing all of those street side Jay Leno-esque interviews that you see him doing all the time. He absolutely loves that. I, I, don't, I just don't, I don't think it's healthy to, you know, not long ago he was someone that was a complete ally to Donald Trump, was lying to everybody, and now all of a sudden he's supposed to be an American hero. I'm not yeah. taking away the fact that his cooperation is essential. It's essential to getting down to the bottom of what went down in the 2016 campaign, but I'm not about to sit there and start praising him for being such a, you know, a great person that's a beacon of justice. No, absolutely not. I, I think the either or is a little difficult because I've got number three for you. And that's a lot of the people who have come out of the whole Trump story have, have had, and this is a two-word thing that I've noticed a lot of anti-Trump, former Trump people. It's called book deal. And I think what Cohen's trying to do right now is get that name for himself in this situation. Because Cohen, I, I, I'm not sure how much Cohen knows. I don't know if this is a reduced sentence thing. I truly don't. Um, I'm, I'm hoping he knows plenty. I'm hoping they subpoena just about everybody with lungs in this situation. Um, and those who smoke and don't really have lungs anymore. But I, I think what Cohen's trying to do is what a lot of people... Bob Woodward just did it. I mean, are we supposed to call Bob Woodward a hero for calling bullshit on bullshit? Okay, that wall's a wall. I know what... A, um, sorry about that. <laughs> I think Cohen's trying to get 
some sort of notoriety here. I think, like she said... Maybe make a little money back to pay for yeah. his legal expenses? Yeah. yeah you know what? The, in hip-hop, there's an old-school song, and the, the, the hook of the song is, the world is full of pimps and hoes, and what's that you claiming? And I just feel like in this administration, they, they're interchangeable. Like they, be, they go from being his hoes to them pimping the game. And unfortunately, it's the people who perish, the uninformed people who are falling for these idols. Like they're worshiping these people, you know what I mean? And they just don't realize that it's hurting us. But I, I think he's pimping the game. And like she said, he was over there running, running a hype man second to Trump, running around with him. And now that his ass is in hot water, he was like, so there, there's no, there's no even honor amongst them. Like they don't have any honor amongst them. Like and, I think the, just, and and to add to that, we're about two weeks away from Trump calling uh, the Democratic House pimps and hoes. Yeah. So let's see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. I, I really like the hype man image. Like Trump yeah. like, we need to stop illegal immigrants. All the all the uh, pi- all the pimps and hoes trying to reunite yes. these families. <laughs> that's my girl. Oh my god. And yeah. I think that that's what's so important about some of the work that you're doing, Ada, helping educate uh, people in their localities about the importance of elections and the importance of voting, no matter what side it is, just to make sure you educate yourself and yeah. know what's going on and know your place and how it affects you. Because I think that and you're doing some amazing work with that. Yeah, no, it's important. So it's specifically in black and brown communities where we really uh, don't, we, we neglect local politics. And that's what directly affects us the most. We, we're, compare, we're complaining about the judicial system, the legislation system. I can't talk right now because I'm so hungry. But um, <laughs> my, my blood sugar dropped like his grandfather's. <laughs> I'm going to get it in a minute. But the, 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 the thing is, we complain about the police. We complain about local government. But we have to make a difference. And the example that I told you was like the, with the Trayvon Martin, George Zimmerman case. That DA got voted out. And people, if you want to be you want to be effective, then you have to think locally, you know, think globally, but act locally. And it's important yes. for black and brown people to oh, do yes. it and marginalize people. Like that That's true for everything. Gosh, you guys, we'll be right back. Hey, Muller Junkies, this is AG. As you know, with both of my jobs, I'm constantly on the go and I'm always traveling. That is why HelloFresh has made my life a million times easier. First of all, I have to spend less time meal planning and grocery shopping every week, so that saves me a lot of trips to the store and a lot of time preparing my meals. And the other thing about it is it's really convenient because I can get my meal ready in about 30 minutes or less, which is amazing for me. It saves me so much time. And what's really great about it are these are responsibly sourced ingredients, which I know is really important to you and it's very important to me as well. And the subscription is so easy to manage. HelloFresh does all the hard work and heavy lifting for you, so you can just cook and eat and then move on with your life. So it's super convenient. It's part of my routine. I absolutely love it. And I'm really, really big on that responsibly sourced part. So you guys check it out. Go to HelloFresh.com slash AG60 and use the code AG60 to get a total of $60 off. That's $20 off each of your first three boxes. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash AG60 and use the code AG60 at checkout. You'll be glad you did. So thank you for listening to Just the Facts. We're going to play a game right now. Do I have a volunteer from the audience that wants to play the... Yeah, get up here, you. Okay, hell yeah. So this game is called Three Lies and a Lie. (laughs) Basically, each of our panelists is going to read a quote for you. Three of them are things that Trump has never said, and one of them is something that Trump has said. 
three lies and a lie. So I'm going to pass these out. Yes. You do that one. Yes. Oh, thank Purple. you. You do that one. Uh, our panelists do not know which is the real quote <laughs> and which is the fake. Oh, God. So let's start down with Julissa. <laughs> and please feel free to act out, do an act out. We're all improv, we're all actors here, even oh, yeah. though I've lied on my passport mm-hmm. to make myself 37. Yeah, yeah. Because 37 year old women still have a really hot chance here in this town. So please, here we go. Your first lie. Okay, and I've never actually attended a Trump impression, so. <clears throat> Getting ready to speak at a meeting. <laughs> Monitor your behavior and work hard and love the Mexican people. Fantastic place. Enjoy. All right. Okay. Jordan. <clears throat> it's a long one, so I'm going to have to commit to the bit here. <laughs> Look, having nuclear, my uncle was a great professor and scientist and engineer, Dr. John Trump at MIT. Good genes. Very good genes. Okay? Very smart. The Horton School of Finance, very smart, you know? If you're a conservative Republican, if I were a liberal, okay, if I ran as a liberal, say, I'm one of the smartest people anywhere in the world. Okay. That was a nice performance. Thank you. I sound very Trumpy. Thank you. I've also... It feels gross. I've also never attempted the Trump before, so just give me the benefit of the doubt. (laughs) Now that China's own economy is in the just released in Iowa, up six points according to Ad CNN. Thank you so... (laughs) Okay, okay. Ada, what do you got for us? Um, I'm not even going to try. I can't. I, I can't even outdo these three. But oh, stop. I'll just, use, I'll just do mine with my Latina accent. Rodolfo Rosas Moya and his famous remarks about self-deportation and 47%. He understands the economy. We raised $6 million in New Hampshire. Big crowd. Thanks. Okay. Okay. All right. So now you have to decide which one of these is something that Trump actually said. Do you think it was Julissa's? No? (laughs) Do you think it was Jordan's? It was the longest. No? Okay. Do you no? think it was Cameron's? Oh. <laughs> you think it was Cameron's? Oh, congratulations. You did a great job. <laughs> I am so sorry to tell you the real quote came from Jordan. That was the real life. I hear you have this anyway, man. Absurd. We appreciate you playing along. That was wonderful. Thank you. Enjoy your toast. Your Thank you. Toast. Ladies and gentlemen, now is the time when we take questions from you about the podcast, about what we do, about what Ada does, about how Cameron's doing, maybe something uh, Jordan's working on, anything you want to ask Julissa, and anything about the Mueller investigation or, 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 or politics in general. We are now ready to field your questions. We have a microphone right over here. Yes, I do. Thank you very much. I've had a mic in my hand before. And a gym. Um... My question to the panel is, do you think that Mueller was lying about his health? Was that a mob move in order to get, uh, uh, Manafort, I'm sorry, thank you so much. Oh, okay, okay. Take two. Same, same thing, Mueller, same Manafort. Thing. I get that, it's like my mother, my sister, my mother, my sister, I'm <laughs> Do you think that he was doing a mob move to get out and not realize that there are, like my good friend Ida Rodriguez says, that there's tons of black and brown people in jail who have been treated 10 times worse than this man has been treated in there for unjust crimes and nonviolent crimes. Do you guys feel that he was uh, pulling a mob move of what I call? 
I would call it a Brady Bunch move. And here's why. Stewart here, just so people know who I am. Uh, I, 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 if, if, it, if it was a move, if he's not actually infirm, and I don't want to mock anyone who's infirm. My mother has gout. Her feet swell up because she eats meat and drinks bourbon every day forever. <laughs> Fucking score. Awesome. Mom, <laughs> love you. Uh, I would call it a Brady Bunch move. Did you see the Brady Bunch where they got rear-ended? Or they rear-ended that guy, and then they show up in court, and the guy has the neck brace on, and then Mike Brady drops the book, and he turns his neck, and they're like, ah! I was hoping somebody would drop a book in that courtroom. But in any case, that's a really good point, and it's a really good question. Everyone seemed to have an eyebrow raised when Manafort rolled up. What do you guys think? Do you think well, he could actually have some health issues because of the nutrition. I, I, I and what you were talking about, what we talked about earlier, is he's getting a taste of what it's like for the regular fucking man who's in prison who doesn't get the nutrition they need and doesn't get the health care that they need. And, that, and that's very sad, but yeah. it's important to know when it happens to people of privilege and they come forward and, and they get to complain about it. It's just different. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not, they're not having kale shakes in prison. Yeah. So I agree, I agree with you. And I think that... You know what? It, what happens is that when you are a criminal and you become subject to the court of law, you are subject to what they, th- those are the rules. Like if you, nobody gets to say, you know what? I really need um, some gluten-free stuff in prison because I have an intolerance. Somebody walked up to Manafort and said, you still believe in privatizing prisons, motherfucker? That's right. <laughs> I like that um, motherfucker. Yeah, I, I do like to give people with medical concerns the benefit of the doubt, though. Um, when Hillary Clinton, uh, at, on September 11th, last year, the year before, had to be taken to her car, I'm not entirely sure of the situation. I gave her the benefit of the doubt. Um, I've got family members who very often are sick and need to and are, have difficulty with physical activity. On the March for Our Lives tour this summer, my fat ass could hardly get off the bus half the time. <laughs> so if somebody is going to have a medical concern, I really like to offer them the benefit of the doubt. I also think Manafort's a hack, so I don't care. Yes, I understand he's in prison. I also like to give prisoners the medical benefit of the doubt. I think that people in the prison system of the United States are already mistreated enough. And um, while Manafort is getting his just desserts in a way, I think that people need to be treated with a bit of respect, whether or not they are the people propagating that shit anyway. I, I agree with you, but it's not, it can't just be him, it has to be everyone. Sure, I, no, I wholeheartedly agree. People in prison are treated like crap. You have a gram of marijuana, you're, you're, tr- you're treated like a violent criminal. It's awful. Not here, though. <laughs> the Wait, reason next question. I, oh, sorry? Oh, and I was just going to add to that. The reason I think it's real is because he's not used to this. I think someone like him in his position of privilege, he's so used to everything being easy. His health is taken care of. His food is top-notch. So I think his body is actually reacting very quickly to His body what is he, rejecting prison? Yeah. He's, he's not, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it, but he may have physiological reactions to he's, his He's lifestyle. allergic to prison. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> allergic to accountability. I think... Um, I, my new podcast <laughs> name. I'm still Feeling that <laughs> you should it's uh, yeah no well he wouldn't have i don't think if he was able to wear a tux or a suit i should say a he tux. would show yeah <laughs> it's that'd be great if they give him the blue that's that's what i don't think court. i i find a hard time i have a hard time believing if he was wearing a suit he would come in doing the whole same theatrics i don't know if that's fair to call it theatrics like you know i don't I believe him that he's having adverse effects, but I do think he's going to spend a lengthy amount of his sentence trying to get out of his actual prison time, and he's going to try to get appeal for house arrest as much as he can, basically. Yeah, his sentencing is until February 8th, so his ass can sit in jail until then. Right. Next question. 
Um, there was an article recently about um, that people are speculating whether or not the Mueller investigation is really going to have this cumulative ending of, well, I hope impeachment. But they're, they're suspecting that it's just going to end and possibly be sealed at the end. Um, even though I'm a loyal weekly listener and love it to death, I'm petrified that this might be the case. But if you could predict an ending to it, do you guys have an, like an end date in your mind that you think is realistic at this point? I have a prediction. Um, and this is obviously all speculation based on everything that I've seen and read. First of all, going all the way back to Mueller's dissertation days, his master's thesis, where to him, the, the whole of justice is what's important. It's not the individual individuals who are involved and and I believe that he errs on the side of this country and it's the American people and so I think that he will find a way uh, to make sure whether it's through a speaking indictment or whether it's through a report to Congress that the public will get if not all at least some of the information about what's gone down I think November is the time frame we're looking at for conspiracy crimes of collusion and I call them crimes of collusion because that's how Rosenstein referred to them in his Department of Justice memo outlining the scope of Mueller's investigation they are crimes of collusion uh, I can give you the US code if you want but you guys believe me uh, so um, so I think it's the November time frame for for crimes of collusion and obstruction uh, and whether that's a report on obstruction, uh, I, I don't think he's going to indict Trump. Uh, I, I think that he believes that it is the, th that it's not the job of the American people, but the privilege of the American people to decide what happens to him, yes. what happens to Trump. Yes. And so he's going to leave that up to either impeachment or we vote his ass out in 2020. Woo. Uh, that's how I think it's going to go. And I think we're going to learn a lot in November. But then come February 8th, when we get the rest of it with Manafort, uh, Manafort sentencing, there could be speaking indictments released. I think he probably already has some sealed indictments on the docket that haven't dropped yet that are set to trigger if either Rosenstein or Sessions are fired. Okay. Anything I think else we, you guys want to say? I think we need to get a bit more optimistic about this. I want this to end with Mueller and Trump being friends. <laughs> or maybe a deep, passionate kiss. You know what I mean? Oh. Hold on, we got a microphone back here. Uh, further to what the young lady's question was, if, Mueller, uh, if Mueller's report is sealed from the American people, will openly committing white-collar crimes and election rigging become the new normal? Like we're seeing with Brian Kemp, he's out there just disqualifying people on the news and right. has no shame. And is this going to be the new way that American society functions where you can commit a crime if you do it in front of everyone as opposed to hiding it and then getting busted later? Yeah. It seems like Trump has set that new standard for what's acceptable behavior in that you can commit crimes if you're just honest about it. Well, sadly, I think that has been the normal for a while. And much like uh, folks of privilege like myself weren't aware uh, the absolute devastating um, brutality against people of color by the cops, for example, until cell phones came out. It's always been there. Um, but be meaning it's always been there. It's always been a problem. This has always been a problem. White-collar crime has been a problem since 9-11 because they took all the resources away to still look at right white-collar crime. And now we finally have one person, Bob Mueller, with a team who's sole job it is is to look into the white collar crimes of the administration and when Trump says we need a president for life fuck that we need a special counsel for life Mueller for life baby <laughs> yeah. 
And we are recording from our hotel headquarters at Politicon this weekend. And joining us today is the co-host of the You're Making It Worse podcast. He used to work in politics for the likes of Clinton and Anthony Weiner, and he's now on staff at Newsweek. Please welcome H. Allen Scott. H. Allen, welcome to Muller She Wrote. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. I am so glad you're here. We, this is an interview. I've been excited about this all weekend, so I'm, I'm super thrilled to have you. And when we first got in touch, I have to say the thing that jumped out at me from your bio immediately is that you worked for Anthony Weiner. And some of us and some of our listeners lay the blame on the election swing for Trump directly on Anthony Weiner's laptop, uh, the, the Weiner laptop. And uh, Comey, you know, reopened the Clinton email investigation just 11 days out before the election uh, based on, on some emails that hadn't been reviewed from that laptop. And we sort of have a love-hate relationship with Comey at Mueller, she wrote. Uh, so we were all waiting for the IG report to come out from Horowitz on the FBI New York field office. So I was wondering if you could maybe lend your insight or shed a little light on what you think went down with the reopening of that investigation and what kind of an effect it might have had on the election. Well, I think the blame more lays on James Comey than Anthony Weiner. I mean, Anthony Weiner, it's hard for me to speak ill of Anthony Weiner because I do, as a person, think he's a very good man. He was always very good to me. Just to clear up, I worked, on, worked for him during his first mayoral race in 2005 when he, before he sent the dick pic. You look like you're 26. I know, I'm so not. But <laughs> I like how you're like, I know, yeah, but I am not. Thank you. The Juvederm. Um, no, I, so I worked with him in 2005. But I, I think a lot of that blame lays with James Comey because Wiener has an addiction. He had a problem. This wasn't a surprise. The emails, they were there. We already knew that they existed. And anyone with common sense would know that the emails that he, they had to look into was just just like any email they they download to the computer you 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 sync your your email address with i mean of course that's going to be a copy there and that's when that happened i remember sitting there watching the news that day being like oh he logged into his i i account icloud account on you know huma's computer that's what happened here it's the same emails of course it's going to be the same emails and that's exactly what they found what seven days later five days later um it's really the mismanagement of james comey Specifically, but also, too, I think it was an agenda from the New York sort of FBI field office and the hatred that they had for Hillary Clinton. I mean, I don't know where it came from. I don't know where it even started because, I mean, clearly these people, both current FBI agents and past retired FBI agents who'd done some work just sort of, you know, pro bono for the FBI and some assisting other agents, had this bias against Clinton. And it's like they were in cahoots with Giuliani for some strange reason back to when he was a district attorney, I think, or who knows how far it went back. But it really all lies with, I think, Trump's campaign influencing, knowing that they have these connections with this with the FBI agents and knowing that they were involved in, because they're the New York field office closest to where the email and the computer lived. It's the whole thing really upsets the whole thing really upset me. Now, if you think, so, and some may argue, and this is kind of where I stand, but I honestly don't know yet until the investigation comes out, into the New York field office, uh, which is being conducted right now. We've been waiting for it for a while since the first Horowitz IG report came out on on the Clinton email investigation, uh, is that Comey uh, felt pressure from leaks. It had already started to leak a little bit out uh, with Giuliani on Fox News a couple of days before... Before Comey Comey wrote that letter to Congress to reopen the investigation, do you think there was any pressure on Comey to to reopen that investigation? Or do you think he did it? And then also, 
a lot of people are wondering why he didn't tell everyone that Trump was also under investigation. Yeah. I mean, the whole not telling why Trump was also under investigation kind of is a reason to hate James Comey. But in the specific situation of the Clinton investigation, like he said in his book, he was damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. Like, there was no good scenario that he could have gone forward. And the same with Obama in that, in that instance. Like, you know, with the Russia meddling and everything, like, there was no good direction. Oh, right. Because he could either say uh, they're colluding with Russia and then inter- interfere and influence the election. Yeah. Or he could not say anything and be held to account for not saying anything. Exactly. It's going to be spun and taken in so many different directions. And Comey was in the exact same situation in this specific instance. Should have said something about the Trump investigation. Also, too, what I find so funny here. I wish we weren't victim blaming. I wish we would lay the blame on Trump for colluding. Yeah, Um, exactly. (laughs) Instead of being like, well, you know, maybe maybe the laptop shouldn't have been wearing such a short skirt. And uh, perhaps Comey shouldn't have been asking for it. Uh, well, let's, well, let's let's also talk about how the who, who was the FBI worked on Mueller's team that was like a clear anti-Trump person. What was his name? He testified before Congress. McCabe. Yes, McCabe. Like the Trump administration, Republicans go hard on McCabe and his anti-Trump bias. But you have these FBI agents who had a clear Clinton bias during the election who are working on an investigation that involved someone that they had a clear bias against. Yeah, but that's okay. But that's okay. That's <laughs> totally okay. I mean, but you it's, know, the long history of the FBI being super, super liberal, super inclusive. Hippies, they, they all do drugs. Yeah, they all have chakras that they're speaking to at the end of the day. Very politically correct. Yeah. Um, they and wearing ties. heels if you're yes. Edgar Hoover. Which I fully support him doing that. And I probably would have wore heels with him. As Eddie Izzard said, a fucking weirdo transvestite. Yes. More and more executive transvestite. <laughs> we need more executive transvestites, I think. We really Don't do. you think so? I agree. I would love for the president's staff secretary to be like a transvestite. Executive transvestite. I'm probably going to offend some people by saying that. That's that, okay. You know what? Okay. Every, there's Everyone at some point is offendable. We get emails. Come over to my place. We'll wear heels. There we go. Boom. Done. Um, no. So what, the original question. Uh, <laughs> there is a lot of blame to lay on Comey. But there's also like whenever I, I deal with this a lot because a lot of my friends, you know, and we talk about this on the podcast, on my podcast, you're making it worse a lot. How, you know, Elliot, one of my co-hosts, is so impassioned by all these things. He's so appalled and shocked by all these things. And it's just like, this is insane. This is insane. We've never seen this before. This is insane. And the political science sort of nerd in my head likes to very calmly, rationally say, well, we have seen, like, the, our country has been at risk before. Like, these things, there are horrible things that people had to suffer in this country, like slavery. And it was a very dark time in our country for a lot of people. And and we don't want to use that passion to sort of distract from the actual facts of what's happening. And you're looking at Comey. Comey made some bad decisions and sort of said something about the, about the Trump administration, or about Trump and the investigation into Trump during the election. That said... There's so much that is just, you know, we're looking back at history and seeing sort of what direction and what he should have done and what he could have done. And he did what he did. And in any situation, I don't know if I necessarily would have done anything different than him because you're just making these decisions as they go. And frankly, even though this is, we should hold him accountable for this, societally, we live in a patriarchal society where a woman is seen as, a powerful woman is seen as a danger, as someone who's coming after the status quo, and Hillary Clinton played that role. And I can't help but think that James Comey, being a part of the patriarchy, just societally fed into that and realized that he had to speak about this because of the way society treats 
women, specifically Hillary Clinton. Yeah, and I, I loved his book, but it oozes with mm-hmm. male privilege. It mm-hmm. just, he, you know, mm-hmm. he, when he to- goes and talks about how, you know, well, do you know how fucking awesome I am? I take all my FBI recruits to the Martin Luther King oh, monument, God. and I make them t- think about history. And I'm like, you know, that's cool, but like... In the same breath, you know, you you be like, you say like, well, I didn't have to talk about Trump. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to give up uh, sources and methods on an ongoing and open investigation. Yeah. But we have to reopen the Hillary Clinton email investigation immediately. That had nothing to do with, and it wasn't even an investigation. No. They literally just reviewing a computer's hard drive. Yeah. And one computer. And honestly, what was interesting about it is the reason he he knew about it earlier in September. At least McCabe did, and I think Comey did. Uh, and they were going to try to sit on it until mm-hmm. the election uh, went through, mainly because they thought they didn't have the technology to to sort emails and delete uh, <laughs> duplicates. So they thought it was going to take weeks to, yeah. to review all the emails on the laptop. Well, they yeah. found a, somebody, some genius said, uh, I can just do a pivot table, bro, yeah, and uh, eliminate a whole shitload of emails. And when he found out... But as the election was approaching, they're getting ready to leak this from the Giuliani yeah. side. And it's only going to take me five or six days to to go through these emails now where I thought it was going to take weeks. We can get it done before the election. Mm-hmm. I have to come out and do this. And you're right. He he had no good choice. He had no good it choice. It still fucking sucks. Well, I also think that he... I, I do think the Giuliani side... I think from the beginning, Comey probably knew that there was nothing to this. That this is, literally was just a duplicate email address on a computer that the emails were downloaded to. He's not a dummy. Anyone, I mean, if I figured that out sitting in my shitty apartment in Los Angeles looking at the news without having seen anything, you think Comey probably has someone who's probably figured that out too. Mm-hmm. My age, mm-hmm. not 26. It's um, not like Martha Stewart who who feigned ignorance of what insider trading was, yeah, but no. then tried to cover it up by having her you know, exactly. assistant do that. Like, you can't obstruct justice and cover something up that you didn't think was a crime to begin with. Totally. So it's exactly it, yeah. that situation he Hillary Clinton thinking that somebody stealing or hacking into her servers meant they physically had to come to her house and remove yeah. them. She's not a dummy. Yeah. She knows a thing or two. Ooh, I, can, I, can, yes. I can vouch that she is a very smart person on camera and off camera. <laughs> yeah. um, but that said, Comey's not an idiot. And I do think that he probably just assumed that these were duplicates and had nothing. But because of what was happening with the influence of Giuliani on the New York field office and the FBI agents, they had this bias against Clinton. They were because they knew this information. They knew that they had this in their arsenal. Trump campaign probably pressured them to push this forward and push this to try to distract the election in some way. Or who knows what outside forces well, were doing Well, there was Giuliani it. on Fox saying, we're going to have an October surprise. Yeah. And uh, in two days... It's going to be an October surprise. Because that one October surprise wasn't enough. Right. The grabber by the pussy wasn't enough of an October surprise. Well, when you have WikiLeaks to release a bunch of Podesta emails Mm -hmm. the same day within hours, you know, you can kind of mute that. It's just like an October. October 2016 was the month of surprises. It was ridiculous. It was such a stressful month. Yeah, and yeah, it's just hard to to know. And again, I just we should lay the blame squarely on the the conspirator, which is which is Putin and Trump. But (laughs) also, too, imagine like like. Because, I mean, Anthony Weiner, I I can say this for a fact that Anthony Weiner is a proud Democrat, proud liberal, a very, very, very liberal um, public servant. And if you take away his addiction and his problems that he had and the arrogance, because he did have a lot of arrogance, um, he fundamentally was a very, very good public servant who did a lot of good for his community. And to imagine that like he's sitting there i guess he was in rehab at that point maybe he's in prison at that point i don't know he's sitting there realizing that what he did is the reason why hillary clinton is going to lose imagine carrying that weight i mean that like even though he's a bit of a scumbag i still feel for that cuz that just 
sucks. And in some way, he was even used to 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 use against to, as an arsenal against sort of Hillary Clinton. I feel like Goodwill Hunting. Like it's not your fault. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not, not your, your fault. fault. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, like, like uh, uh, Anthony Weiner was kind of used in a way. Yeah. Like, and so was Huma. Huma was used as well. Yeah, Huma Abedin. That's. Mm. Yeah, it's it's sad all around. Oh, I feel, I feel, but I do hate James Comey. Not so much because of what he did, just because of the type of white dude he is. He's very arrogant. Yes, he's an arrogant. He's the kind of white dude that, like, you know at Starbucks, he would get really... He acknowledges that, though. Yeah, he does. He does. But he would get really, really, really angry if, like, the order doesn't come within, like... Like, if his order didn't get delivered immediately after the person who ordered before him, he's furious. I do that. Well... That's justice. I mean, is it, though? Fair is fair, man. (laughs) I'm in line. (laughs) I'm in line and I ordered after her. Where's my drink? (laughs) Justice has not been served. She has her drink. I want my drink. I'm James Comey. The arc of the universe is long, but it bent toward my coffee. I need my coffee. <laughs> what kind of coffee do you think James Comey orders at Starbucks? Oh, God. He probably orders a half-calf Americano, but he specifies that it needs to be two shots and not mm-hmm. just the three. With maybe some caramel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or maybe a dash of cinnamon, because he's basic. <laughs> pedestrian. He would wear Ugg boots pedestrian. if he could. <laughs> I saw Gina Davis at Starbucks one wearing juicy uh, sweatpants juicy and Ugg pants? boots. Yeah. Okay. All yeah. right. I supported I, it. I uh, I I did a women in media conference with her. She's, yeah. she's a rad lady. She's rad. She's a giant. She should be president. She's gigantic. She's she so tall. I'm she tall. Massive. But she is fucking. She's tall. Sigourney Weaver level. I don't tall. know Alice what Janney level kind of magic and trickery they do in the movies to yeah. make her male leads look as tall as she does. But it's just it works genuinely incredible. God, Those special effects really. Can you imagine realized. if we just had like powerful female actresses run the government? I'd, I'd be down. Like Angela Bassett as like Attorney General Vivica Fox. I want to pass on that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Gina Davis. I'm, I'm down Gina Davis. You. I will take as president. All right. So I wanted to ask you uh, because I, we, you know, we're a, an all women uh, run podcast, mm-hmm. and we're LGBTQ plus um, allies and members. And I wanted to know. I know what it's like to be a woman in podcasting, but I and but and one of my co-hosts uh, is gay, but I don't know what it's like to be gay in media, especially gay mm. in politics. And I was hoping mm. maybe you could talk about some of the experiences that you've had, but positive, negative, anything like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely had the whole like you only care about a certain set of issues, and they think that like because you are gay, you know, gay rights, of course, is going to be top of your list, which it is, but they don't seem to realize that like being gay is in every aspect of a social economic system so you care like, about other things yeah shocking like you know for <laughs> example marriage equality was denied from same-sex couples for ever until 2013 and during the height of the hiv aids epidemic you had couples who were being not legally wed who had worked i mean they were in their 50s and 60s sometimes they had worked their entire lives they had fed and they had paid into the system with social security and with their 401ks and everything and that money didn't go to their surviving partner and so that partner now is having to go a baby boomer is having to go work until their 70s 80 years old they're getting denied you know uh senior assistance at housing they're getting discriminated against in housing they they're healthcare they're getting denied healthcare because of you know before obamacare because of pre-existing conditions just because of they weren't able to sustain a job because they were taking care of their partner when their partner was dying of hiv or aids and 
I mean, there there are so many levels of where gay life sort of feeds into our social conversation during an election period. And I think a lot of straight people who are allies, who are legitimately allies, they talk about love is love. They talk about it gets better. And they talk about, like, you know, being inclusive, which is all wonderful things. But it's also like... Invite us to the table for the healthcare conversation because there are like serious issues in healthcare that gay people specifically have to address. Like a lot of straight people don't know about the the HIV pill prep that basically blocks HIV infection, ninety nine percent effective of blocking the HIV infection from entering a person who is HIV negative, and that is a vital health need that could minimize HIV AIDS in this country to crazy low numbers, and yet straight people don't even know about it they're just like completely oblivious to it because they don't associate gay with healthcare. yeah and uh when i uh joined the navy mm-hmm. um they i was one of the first women in the nuclear program they failed mm-hmm. to staff a gyn because they forgot i have a vagina and what that Jesus. reminds me of now more currently and kind of what you're speaking to is when uh transgender people were allowed to serve openly in the military mm-hmm. all of a sudden defense health agency turns around and says um how the fuck do we yeah. provide health care to this group of people. Yeah. And VA was like, um, we've been doing it for 40 years. Yeah. Um, do you want to borrow our plan? And yeah. they're like, oh, yes, thank you. It's insane. It's and insane the level Hats of- off to Mattis, though, at least yeah. for sticking up for that. And, yes. and Because I remember specifically when the uh, tweet came down. Well, he's a Democrat, remember. Oh, yeah, he's totally liberal. <laughs> Socially liberal mob yeah. thug. Uh, but when that tweet came down, no more transgender people in the military, Mattis is like, don't listen to him. Yeah. Uh, we have done six studies. Uh, we're doing four more white papers. Yeah. Everybody's cool with it. And we are already millions of dollars into developing this health program. Yeah. Uh, just it doesn't. It doesn't. And and the thing is, is like it's such a minimal amount of money compared to the national defense budget in terms of what is used on trans health care. Yeah, eight million. Yeah, it's nothing. And we spend. It's a wheel in Iraq. Yeah, and we spend ten times that on um, Viagra. Yeah. Which, by the way, I hundred percent support. Yeah. Um, I I used Viagra once for fun in San Francisco. It was a great. Day and we have a lot, you know, we have a lot of uh, active duty service members and veterans who uh, have uh, PTS and yes. ED and uh, a female um, mm-hmm. sexual arousal disorder. So it's like, you know what? Get it. I'm yeah. Pr- I'm happy and proud to spend my tax pay dollar on that yeah. to make you whole after serving your country. Exactly. No matter what it is. Yeah. Uh, and you're right. The, the amount of money is minimal. He's trying to blame it on money. Mm-hmm. Eight million versus a nine hundred billion dollar budget. It's. We're cool, dude. Yeah. Uh, the the you know the Tricare contract alone is a seventy billion dollar venture. Mm-hmm. So it's well, not thing, that. I mean, the thing that blows me away is that people, like I was saying earlier about one of my co-hosts who uses who gets very passionate about those issues, and it's easy to place you know all the blame on the president and to focus all of the energy on taking down this president, which is true. But what's even more important is that like these measures. Congress can stop. Congress can get prevent them from going forward Mm -hmm. if we elect a Congress that supports the values in which you're so passionate about. Yeah, and we've seen it with the Russian sanctions, Mm -hmm. uh, where this Congress passed them, not just Saudi Arabia right now. Saudi Arabia with Khashoggi, they are like, nope, we're going to do, we're going to trigger the trigger the Magnitsky Act, and we're going to make sanctions if you don't. Step up and do Congress some shit. is powerful. Congress has the power. They haven't used it these past few years because we've, ever since, I guess, FDR, no, really Woodrow Wilson, we've been pushing a lot of sort of power within the executive branch. But Congress does have 
power and they can, you know, assert their power in ways that they haven't been doing for the past 40 years because mm-hmm. they just everything's about the president. Mm-hmm. And it really hasn't always been that way in this country. Yeah, we need to we need to balance the power again. Yes. We need to take some executive power away. I think even Obama and I, you really like you said all the way back to what we had too mm-hmm. much executive power. We Obama checked it a little more bit. Executive we orders. checked it a little bit after yeah. Nixon. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and but just because I like Obama's executive mm-hmm. orders, yeah. uh DACA, uh, mm-hmm. etc. doesn't mean uh, that it's good that the president has that much power exactly. and we're feeling the ramifications of that now when somebody who you don't agree with mm-hmm. is in power. He's Someone got all potentially three branches dangerous. right now. And, yeah. he's, and he's chipping away at the fourth, mm-hmm. uh, which is us. Yeah. And uh, we really, really, that's su- why it's super important to mm-hmm. vote. Uh, this election, we got to just at least put a check on the president. And we, and we have a history of doing that as Americans. Let's mm-hmm. just, let's check the president. But also like understanding that, I mean, like you were saying earlier that, you know, you're a cisgender white woman, and I think a lot of times, you know, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri originally, and during Ferguson, um, I remember thinking, like, you know, I grew up five miles from there. Like, I could, I, I have full right to speak about what's going on in Ferguson on Facebook or post about it, but then I thought, like, this isn't my narrative. This isn't my story. I didn't live that life. I am a white, yes, I'm gay, I'm a part of a minority, uh, you know, a persecuted minority in the society, but at the same time, I'm a white man. Mm-hmm. And I I don't really pass because I wear clothes like like baby onesies like I'm wearing right now, you know what I mean? Like, I don't really pass as a straight man, but I do pass as some privilege. Yeah. And, and people aren't, they don't see me as a threat. And so I thought during that moment, this isn't my narrative to share. I need to amplify the voices of others. And I think in terms of gay rights and gay politics in this country, like gay politics, you know, there are so many LGBT candidates running during the midterm elections. And yet, and I think it's good that they aren't necessarily seen as only LGBT candidates. I think that's an awesome, awesome thing. Like the woman running for the Democratic not, Democratic side in Arizona. Um, I forget her name now. but she, Kristen Cinema. Yes. She's bisexual and openly bisexual. And yet that's sort of such a non thing within our narrative right now, which I think is awesome. But at the same time, I think it's really important for people to know because it's something that. Yeah, I didn't even know that. Yeah, it's something that like identifies. It's nice that it's not news. Yeah, exactly. Um, But yeah, I didn't even know that. Like the governor of of Oregon is openly bi. And it's and and there are so many different. uh, The woman running in Vermont on the, I think, independent or Democratic side is a trans woman. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there are so many people who it's such a not part of their narrative, but it's an important thing to know. And I think if straight, cis, white you know, people out there see the examples of gay people in their lives and actually take the time to understand not just marching in the pride parade, not just understanding that that's the moment you should really be caring about your gay friends, but actually ask like, are you at, does it ever uncomfortable for you to talk about issues that you have with your doctor? Or what is it like for you in this situation that is somehow normal to you as a cis white person, Mm -hmm. you know, or a cis white straight person. Um, Right. You're not just political tokens for everyone on the gay rights. Like we were for the democratic party for the better part of 20 years. You know, it was a, it was a thing. And I always say this a lot, but like it was a thing that Democrats for years and years and years would say, we support gay people. We support gay rights, but we don't support you loving each other and having legal rights like we don't support that and we just had to wink and nod and vote for these people knowing that they kind of had our interests and they didn't necessarily believe that well at that point it was the best option exactly uh you know even obama it was like mom yeah. nope, i'm not and we're over that now civil uh unions which uh, is blah 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 <sighs> and you know but you're like it's either that or yeah. a, 
the alternative, which yeah. is I don't even recognize the fact that AIDS and HIV exist in the first place. <laughs> yes. So you're like, all right, well, fuck. what do we do? But you now know, I think we hold our kind the of candidates accountable and we say, no, you have to support this. You mm-hmm. have to be vocal about this. And I think yeah. the 2020 slot of candidates will have to be extremely vocal on their support for not just, you know, gay people, but the Me Too movement for there's so many layers that they have to really push. I don't know. It's such an interesting time to be a minority because mm-hmm. we are, because of Obama, I think, he strengthened that. He showed that a minority vote, minority majority vote could actually win a presidency. And now I think minorities in this country realize that we have true political power. Did you say majority? Majority. Oh. <laughs> oh, I thought you said amazing. that. And I but you know what I mean? Like He, kn- he knew that a, a coalition of women non you know non white people and other minorities with not some white men not white not men, white straight men with some white people included in that could win a presidency oh and yeah it didn't work in 2016 I think because of the patriarchy and, and, and because of Clinton and because of Russia <laughs> but but I do think it can work in 2020 I think so too I think yeah. we're very close to it yeah. all right well I, I you know what I really appreciate that um, I I hadn't even thought of it from that point of view um, you know bringing everyone. Uh, as an ally to the table to not talk just about gay rights, but to mm-hmm. talk about health care and everything else everyone's talking about. Yeah. Um, that's it's the number one issue in the 2008 midterm elections is health care. And it impacts every single person, black, white, gay, straight, man, woman, everybody. We all need health care. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and we're all, you know, let's face it, it's whether you're a Republican or Democrat, it's you're the peasant class, it's us against them. Yeah. Uh, so we all need to figure out our health care and we all need Healthcare to figure out the best thing. way to get it. I had cancer in 2000. I remember 2012 election, I was going through chemo and it was the first time in my life, you know, I'm, I'm 36, and at the time I was 30, and it's the first time in my life that I ever realized that my vote and how the election turned out would directly impact my life, and not just in a tangential sort of way, but in a direct sort of like, if Mitt Romney had won in 2012, I would not have Obamacare. And I'm already, I'm still to this day 80,000 in debt because of my chemo. And on top of that, I would have had to stay paying the $1,000 in COBRA a month if Romney had won, because I wouldn't be able to get insured anywhere else. Yeah. And Obama getting elected made sure Obamacare happened, and now I'm paying 170 something a month. Yeah, and it's it's just it it saved my life, and it's such an important issue. It's such an important directly issue. impacts us all. Yeah, it's, like you said, it's not yeah. just a, this uh, ethereal thing that we mm-hmm. kind of want or need or no. hope for. It's something yeah. that impacts us all, exactly, especially in our pocketbooks. All right. Well, tell, can you tell us where you where we can find your podcast? Yeah, you can go to. I mean, it's on Starburn Audio, Dan Harmon's network. Um, it's called "You're Making It Worse," uh, and it's a sort of LGBT comedy podcast where we basically complain about other gay people. Um, and I'm H. Allen Scott on everything. All right, great. Well, co-host of "You're Making It Worse" with Brent Sullivan and Elliot Glazer, H. Allen Scott. Thank you so much for coming on to Mueller. She wrote. We Thanks really appreciate for having it. Me. We'll be right back. Hey, Muller Junkies. Thanks to Skillshare for supporting Muller She Wrote this week. Skillshare is offering Muller She Wrote listeners two months of unlimited access to over 20,000 classes for just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash AG. That's Skillshare.com slash AG to get two months of unlimited access of over 20,000 classes for just 99 cents. All right, welcome back. My question I wanted to ask you was, uh, Kavanaugh 
So the, the a lot of the, the the stuff that I read was that people uh, that he really wanted Kavanaugh in office beca- uh, to become the next justice because he would excuse him, uh, the president from answering to a subpoena. Or, right. Yeah. So, well, fortunately, I personally think there's nine people on the Supreme Court, and I don't think there's going to be enough to okay. vote the way Kavanaugh votes. Uh, and I also wouldn't worry too much about Gamble. Uh, VUS, if you know what that is, what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I think it's. I think we're going to be okay on justice. Like, like it, it, the arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Unfortunately, it just doesn't happen very fast. Sir, you had you. Martin you were next. King. Last question. Yes, this is our last question. I'm sorry. Well, I got to make this good then. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure. Well, you made the statement that we need to vote him out, a person who you don't like as your leader or your serving as a in a public office. Well, you know, my, my problem is this. He lost the 2016 election by 3 million votes. You know, that's not even close. Yeah. And can you think of any other country that allows a, a candidate to win, to lose an election by 3 million votes? Ukraine. Yeah, I was going to say Russia might be one of them. Well, well, you're right. We have to, and there's one way to fix it. We have to vote in the Ds, because as long as the Rs are in there, we aren't going to be able to fix that gerrymandering problem. We aren't right. going to be able to fix our electoral college system. Uh, I personally. think you meant a democracy yeah. that allowed that <laughs> to happen, One right? person, okay. one vote would be great. So, we, we, I don't want you to feel like we're being snarky towards you, right? Because right, right. that's why we're here. And joining us today is Brent Sullivan. He's one of the hosts of You're Making It Worse, the podcast we had H. Allen on just recently. And uh, so funny. What a funny guy. But the best. He really is. Uh, so smart. And I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you today because I wanted to ask you about social media. Sure. Um, this week, Twitter uh, came out with a story. They released some numbers, some data this week, saying that they're suspending almost 4,000 accounts and they and that there were almost 10 million tweets that came out of these 4,000 accounts from Russian troll farms and bots. Uh, And it's all like anti-Hillary. There's a lot of pro-Bernie stuff that came out um, from them. Um, Anti, well, I should say all lives matter. Anti-Black Lives Matter uh, information. And then there were a lot of of stuff that came out um, pro-Brett Kavanaugh and then also against... um, the Colin Kaepernick, you know, the, the uh, NFL players kneeling for the national anthem. But what we wanted to kind of talk about today was sort of not how Russians treat us on social media, because they're very nice to us. They're trying to manipulate us. But how we are kind of dicks to each other on social media. And, and it doesn't actually like we're at Politicon this weekend. And I have to tell you um, kind of what we were talking about before, that when I actually meet uh conservatives or, or, you know, Trump supporters, which are two different things, let's sure, be honest. Right. Um, they're not, they don't want to, you know, punch me in the face. You know, I, I've, I've done a lot of canvassing this year uh, for a lot of the House candidates because there's a bunch of swing races um, within an hour of Los Angeles. And the first thing, because when I started canvassing, I've done it before, but not as hardcore as this, as this midterm. And when I started, I was like, I'm going to knock on doors. People are going to tell me to fuck off. They're going – I literally – every time I knock on a door, I'm waiting for the shotgun blast to come through the door that I for some reason would see before it hit me. And it's it, it's ridiculous. And then I actually get out there. I start meeting a lot of Republicans because in these House races, you're knocking on Republican doors. And I'm instantly reminded that people – Republicans don't want – 
uh, you know, gay people and black people dead in the streets. They don't want the disintegration of our society. And it's it's just it's been an interesting reminder that I think the prism by which we view the world through social media is so skewed. Well, so then don't you have to ask, I mean, if they don't want gay people dead and to shoot black people in the streets, then why their president kind of talks that way? I mean, I know that Trump's never come out and said, I hope gay people die in the streets. I want to kill all black people. Uh, I mean, he said, look at my African-American. Isn't he wonderful? You know, and he, he kind of talks that way. And he sort of does these dog whistles to uh, like super right, like right. Nazis, basically, right. like Charlottesville, etc. But like he d- so how do you kind of square that? Don't get me wrong. I offer absolutely no defense of voting for someone who is as monstrous as I think Donald Trump is. I think he has absolutely no integrity. I think we all know he has zero moral compass. And so he'll say whatever it takes to get through that day or whatever he's feeling that moment. But I just think that there are lots of people who aren't, they aren't factoring what Trump said on July 3rd, um, you know, 2017. They're kind of like, eh, he talks like a jerk, but look at the economy and look at my job and look at where we're at. One of the most consistent things I've heard from the Republicans I've spoken to uh, that are in favor of the president or, you know, do support the Republican agenda is I don't like Trump, but I like what he's getting done. Because at the end of the day, I do think we have to acknowledge that they're largely getting what they want. So you like judges that will probably overturn Roe v. Wade and and probably block marriage equality. It's appalling to us, but that's what they've wanted for. That's what they've wanted. I mean, they've wanted to block Roe v. Wade. Do they want that because they really want it? Or do they want it because their parents wanted it? Like, I don't get why anyone would want. Maybe it's just like me at the core of me. Like, why would you want to stop gay people from getting married and or, you know, denying State Department uh, uh, gay people's spouses access to, fe- you know, federal benefits. Why? Why do you care? And then also, why do you want to regulate women's health care so hard? Like what? What they have such there is such contempt, I think, that whenever you talk about I, I still love watching I still like the Cleveland Brown sure because I'm from Cleveland maybe that it's that kind of thing do, do you remember Todd Akin when he ran for Senate six years ago and he was the candidate who uh, made a comment he was running against Claire McCaskill in Missouri this is I believe this is play Aiken uh, uh, Todd Akin Todd so not the American Idol not the American Idol though he's also run for, for yeah a, that's what I was thinking <laughs> no, uh, Todd Aiken did I say Clay originally you said Todd and I was trying to re- put him in my head and I can only see Clay yeah um, but he he gave this famous interview in which he talked about how when women are if it is a quote a legitimate rape oh the legitimate rape guy yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's this um, it's this clip that I'm obsessed with because he says in the clip he's like you know if it really is a legitimate rape uh, women's bodies have ways to just kind of shut that whole thing down and he's of course talking about reproduction and but if you watch his face there's such there is there's such disgust he's so repulsed by female reproduction and or remember the guy who thought that we that urine came out of your vagina which was me until like it was, <laughs> eight years ago. It was cool. It was me until I was 14 anyway. No, but you know, they're like, well, you know, you just go up, you know, with the bladder hole and yeah. then you can take care of that. And you're like, what? Jesus. That is not. And see, that's, it's, it's frustrating because that, 
And here's, I guess here's the other thing that I'll say. I do think, even though I normally resent this notion that both, both parties suck, you know, oh, but both sides are to blame. I've always hated that for, for over, ever since the Bush era. Moral equivalency uh, sucks. Yeah, yeah, it's absolute bullshit. But I do think there's a fair point to make that if, let's say Joe Biden is running for president. And let's say a month before the election, uh, a woman comes out and says, when I was in college, Joe Biden grabbed my boobs. I do believe that liberals would say that's a problem, but we can ignore it right now. Yeah, I don't. I disagree. I think we would drop him like a hot potato. We did it with Al Franken. You think that a month before the election... If if a woman came out and said that, you think we? Would, I just I wouldn't vote for him. You know, I like I would still stand and clap for Bill Clinton, but Bill Clinton has a rape accusation. Yeah, I would not. Yeah, and I wouldn't. And and that whole you know, we talk about Kavanaugh online and social media, and we usually get pushed back. Well, what about Bill Clinton? What about your Billy Boy and blah blah blah? I'm like, I wouldn't put him on the Supreme Court either. I wouldn't yeah. vote for him for president now. Yeah. I would back then because and and you have to also remember people. People do this in a, you know, assuming that we have some 100% purity test for our candidates yeah. uh, when we don't. We have two choices. Right. And one of them sucks and one of them sucks less. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what, you know, that's kind of what we're going by. Um, I mean, Obama was this fantastic, you know, shining light on a hill, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, Clinton had issues and Obama had issues and Hillary has issues and and they all have issues. I mean, it's not pizza kitchen child sex trafficking ring issues, but, but it's, you know, it's establishment taking money from, uh, you know, special interest groups problems. I totally hear you. I just think to me, I'm not as consistent as you and I'm I'm not as uh, principled as you. I would vote for a bad person well, that's just it. If Joe Biden had touched somebody's boobs yeah. and it's between him and Trump, yeah, I got to pick Biden. Right. And I th- I think that's 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 the analogy. That's just what I, the comparison I'm trying to draw, which is yeah. like that's what they do. That they're they Trump is a jerk and most I do believe most Republicans agree he's a jerk slash monster. But they say I'm going to get what I want out of it, which is X, Y and Z. And, and so and they couldn't go with Hillary. Yeah. So that's I guess that's the only thing that I've tried to do to keep myself sane over the last couple months, last year and a half, is just thinking, what would I do if Trump was a Democrat and he was saying these awful things? He was for a while. He was. He supported the shit out of Hillary Clinton when she was a senator in New York. Um, Yeah. I mean, the things he said when he was on Stern and then in the like 90s and early aughts were like, yeah, he was a progressive I mean, I probably and a pervert and a monster. Yeah, still a jerk. But like, I think like everyone, when he got elected, there was that that hope, that brief fla- glimmer of hope that in my head he would run, he would be a fiscal conservative and like kind of a social liberal. You know, obviously until he actually took office, I was still hoping. But I think all that Russia is doing in these bots is they're just needless to say, it's very obvious they're just sowing seeds of dissent and they're trying to make us. Yeah, you know, I I blocked a dude on Facebook the other day. <laughs> because we had a very brief but heated exchange about Brett Kavanaugh. And he said, he's, I, to my understanding, a liberal guy. He was just like, I feel bad for Brett Kavanaugh. 
And I, I couldn't get it either. And that's why I was like, I don't understand why you would feel bad for this guy. He's very, he's very clearly guilty. But then more importantly... He's super rich and white and has never had to deal with anything. Yeah. yeah. This is a gay friend of mine, by the way. And when he gets on the court, he's going to be, by almost every, you know, uh, objective measure, very likely very conservative. And we don't know that yet, but that's certainly as a gay dude. My gay friend was uh, was was said. I just feel bad. I feel bad for him because he did something bad when he was nineteen, and it's coming back to haunt him. Ah, yes, 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 yes. Once again, I mean, I couldn't just. I get that argument. I do get that argument though, because because they don't realize what it does mentally to a female. Um, It ruins her whole life. She it seriously wrecks her life. But I, you know, I kind of get that like, oh, something dumb he did when he was 17. And basically not a serial rapist, this guy, but just showing off to his friends this, uh, what did they call it? Toxic homosociality, where you're just so like obsessed with impressing your friends that you do these terrible things. And then women are over here thinking the same thing, but opposite reaction saying, oh, uh, attempting rape on a woman when you're 17 affects your whole life. Good. Good that it comes back to haunt you. Good that we're teaching young men, if you do this kind of shit, it could follow you the rest of your life. Good. But he's like, that sucks. So I do get that. And and also older generations um, kind of see that as less of a thing because we're like, well, that's how it was back then. I've, I've heard that sentiment before. But I think this is the problem with social media and this is all that Rush is doing is that I, I don't know this guy very well. We we you know we hung out a couple times when we lived in New York. I've been Facebook friends with him and haven't seen him in probably eight years. But within three exchanges, I'd blocked him. And you just art very artfully represented, you know, a reasonable, uh, a, a reasonable understanding of argument of what he was trying to say, which is he's not a monster. He's not a jerk. He's not saying I support Republicans who rape women or sexually or assault women, and yet all it took for me on social media was three exchanges before I said I'm never, I never want to see him again. It is social media. Are we training ourselves? Are we training ourselves to treat people that way in life? Uh, but yeah, you're right. Russia knows we that only takes a tiny little wedge. It just takes a tiny wedge, and out. you hate. That person. And that's why they focus on gun control and Kaepernick and Black Lives Matter and... These enormously contentious social issues. Just a little bit, you say something a little bit wrong, and either side will come at you. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion. Um, I Now, you know, like I said, we've been talking to some conservatives uh, quite a bit. There, there was actually a, there's actually a conservative guy uh, who wants to come on our show... That's kind of known to be a troll and trying to get people in gotcha sure. moments. Is it James O'Keefe? <laughs> no, it's a... Oh, I can't remember his name. He's just this little adorable yeah. um, Nazi-looking fella. Yeah, cool. <laughs> he sounds adorable. You know, the puffy hair and the short, you know, the fade. Yeah, 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 just, yeah, yeah. just as cute as can be. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Nazi face. Definitely, sure. definitely like a Spencer kind of sure. vibe. But, you know, apparently I'm like, he was very nice. And he's like, yeah, we should talk. And he's he's trying to get young people to join the conservative movement. Uh, but apparently he's a huge troll and he tries to do these. Sure. I've only found that after like after I talked to him, somebody came up to me and said, dude, you, you got to watch out for that yeah. guy. And yeah. and I'm I'm fascinated to talk to that guy because yeah. I, I can shut you down in in three moves. Just, right. you know, like you did on social media. I will I will I will end you verbally. Right. right. 
Um, but I'm, I'm fascinated to see if he's very like a super nice guy, like he was when he reached out to me, like a like a sales rep. You know how they're nice when they're selling you stuff, yeah, but then once you buy it, we don't talk to you anymore. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Then, yeah. <laughs> So I'm curious to see if that's kind of his his ploy too. I don't know any I don't know any um, Democrats that are like that, but I do know quite a few conservatives. It'll be interesting. The beauty is because it's your podcast, you can just not release it. That's also true. But he, I think he's going to be recording it for his yeah, yeah, yeah. podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Have you listened to his podcast? No. Sure. But I'm I'm going to get on that. I'm going to get on that and see how it goes. And 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 we'll hear it here too. You know, we'll put it out. I think it would be funny, yeah. personally. Um, I've never had to shut anybody down like that, but I don't right. know. I've I never had. I think it's worth. I think it's worth a shot. I mean, I I think right now, there aren't a lot of a lot of their arguments aren't good enough that I I think liberals consistently lose. I mean, obviously, I'm on the, I'm on the left end of the spectrum, but like, yeah, I, th- I think I think it'd be worth a shot. I'm sure you could. I have a few talking points where I just say this and it and it kind of right, ends. Right, right. I mean, Trump's your president. It's not hard. All right, you guys. This has been um, Brent Sullivan from. One of the hosts of You're Making It Worse. Uh, we had the pleasure, like I said, of speaking with H. Allen the other day. This is going to be a great podcast. I can't wait for my listeners to get in, to get on board with it. Yeah. So cool. Well, you guys, thank you so much. Brent Sullivan. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful having you. Thank you for coming on Muller She Wrote. I have a quick question for the panelists real quick. I know we're pretty rough on time. Yeah, we got Who- about uh, two minutes left. Okay. For whom do we, do we wish more invulnerability? Muller? Or the notorious RBG, because I was thinking about it, and I don't know which one of them, if I had a potion that could grant them immortality, I don't know who I would give it to. (laughs) I'd give it to you. I'd give it to RBG. She's got a lifetime appointment. You guys, this has been so amazing. Thank you for being here. Let's listen to this here for uh, Lobby K. Yes. K Street. Uh, Thank you, Ada. Thank you, Cameron. I've been AG. I've been Jaleesa Johnson. I've been Jordan Coburn. And this is Muller, she wrote. Muller She Wrote is produced and engineered by AG with editing and logo design by Jaleesa Johnson. Our marketing consultant and social media manager is Sarah Lee Steiner, and our subscriber and communications director is Jordan Coburn. Fact-checking and research by AG, and research assistance by Jaleesa Johnson and Jordan Coburn. Our merchandising managers are Sarah Lee Steiner and Sarah Hirschberger Valencia. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios, and our website is MullerSheWrote.com. They might be giants have been on the road for too long. Too long. And they might be giants aren't even sorry. Not even sorry. And audiences like the shows too much. Too much. And now they might be giants are playing their breakthrough album Flood. All of it. And they still have time for other songs. They're fooling around. Who can stop They Might Be Giants and their liberal rock agenda? Who? No one. This ad was paid for with somebody else's money. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I 
step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.